Bible today. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. I appreciate Pastor Mike last week, the excellent job that he did bringing God's Word. I know that you were blessed and you enjoyed that immensely. Minute, uh, tech team, man, bless you guys. I got to sit and watch live stream last Sunday morning from the beach, and uh, that's not a bad place to live stream, right, to watch and enjoy the live stream from, and it was excellent, so thankful because I know people rely on our live stream and are going back later and watch it archived, so we're thankful for the great job that our, our team does back there. So we're in this journey through the book of Acts. We're talking about church on the move. In Acts chapter 1, we find the church is waiting. They're doing what Jesus had told them to do. They're waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does come. He indwells the hearts of his people. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands to preach, and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ on that day. Then in Acts chapter 3, we see that lame man that was healed beside the gate called Beautiful. And there's more preaching that's going on from Peter. And then in chapter 4, and this is where you were last Sunday with Pastor Mike, you saw uh, Peter and John being arrested. They begin to face pressure from uh, the Sadducees, who were the religious powers that kind of ruled the whole temple complex. And Mike did a great job explaining to you the belief system of the Sadducees. They didn't believe in supernatural, and so in that category would also be resurrection. They don't believe that there is a resurrection. And what is it that Peter and John are preaching? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So that's not going over well. And so they're arrested, and we see the boldness and the courage of Peter and John and the prayers of God's people there in chapter 4. And I want to pick up where Pastor Mike left off in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. The Bible says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, I just want to pause right here and just kind of lay out three realities that we see there in those final verses of Acts chapter 4. Here's reality number one. The people's hearts were linked. Their hearts were linked together. Look at verse 32. The Bible says all the believers were united. They were united in heart in mind. Now, if you've been with us in the book of Acts, that's not new information to you. We, we heard that also back in Acts chapter 2. They are a people in Jesus that are united in heart and in minds. Their hearts are united around the same passion, the same desires, the same ambition. Their minds are united around the same truth. Uh, the, the same desire to obey Jesus and take the gospel into all the world. Their hearts and minds are all fixed on Jesus and who he is. His death on the cross for sinners like me and you. His burial and his resurrection from the dead. They were united together across all kinds of different backgrounds. They were one in Jesus together. And they regarded themselves as brothers and sisters. No matter where they were from. No matter what might have separated them in the eyes of the world, they were one. They were together. They were united. You know, being united is difficult, isn't it? Today, we're celebrating the birthday of the blank states of America. How's that going? It's a struggle, right, to be united. Unity is 
a hard thing. We see that in our country. I mean, all you got to do to become president is get 51% of the country to vote for you. Right? That's all it takes. Unity is a hard thing. How many of you married people could testify to that? Right? Some of you are nodding bigger than other people. Unity's hard as a country. Unity's hard in a marriage. And you know what? Unity's hard at Grace Life, too. Because it's people. A lot of different people. I remember when I was a younger Christian, younger in the ministry, I would read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, and I would have this restlessness in me, a frustration in me. Why isn't the church like this? Why isn't the church like I read about in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4? We all want to go to a church like that, right? We, we all want to go to a church where everybody's filled with the Holy Spirit, where leaders stand to preach and thousands of people are saved and people are being healed and people are united. They're together as one. They're sharing everything that they have. We want a church like that. Listen, and if you're looking, if you're here today and you're checking Grace Life out because you're on this quest to find a church like Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and so you've stopped in at Grace Life, keep on moving. Because that's not us. We want to be more like that, but that's not us. And the reason that's not us is because we're a church that's filled with people. I mean, look around. Look in the mirror. Listen, what happened in Acts 2 and 3 and 4, it really did happen. It really did. But I want to encourage you to think of it this way. It happened in a particular season. And I'm not trying to diminish what was happening. And I'm not trying to say that that's unattainable for us today. But I want us to understand that that happened in a particular season. It was a dynamic moment in church history. It it really happened, what we see in Acts 2 and 3 and 4. But it it was really momentary. You know this. There is a moment in every relationship where it is the most dynamic when is that moment when it's new right it's at the beginning y'all have experienced that right we're so in love i can't stop thinking about her all the time i have found my soulmate We love all the same things. We love the beach. We love the sound of rain on an old rusty tin roof. We love Italian food. Who doesn't? Everybody loves the beach. Everybody loves rain on an old rusty tin roof. And every believer in the Lord Jesus loves Italian food. It's dynamic at the beginning. Every relationship has a dynamic season but then every relationship will go through some dry seasons right right oh geez (laughs) y'all just keep faking it i'm coming for you fakers today just keep faking it because i'm coming for you fakers today this is your message today all y'all sitting there acting like y'all got it together god's got this sermon he's got your name on it i'm coming for you just go ahead and write it down you ain't getting out of here the same way All you fakers, it's you today, buddy. 
Relationships oftentimes go through that beginning dynamic stage, right? And then we get in some dry stages too, don't we? Yes, pastor. And then oftentimes we experience dysfunctional seasons in relationships as well. Every church is like that. Every church is just like every relationship. We have these moments that are just dynamic and amazing, and praise God for that. And then we're going to have moments that are dry and seasons that are dry. And yes, oftentimes in a local church, we're going to have some dysfunctional seasons. And the reason for that is because the church is made up of people. People who at times are in a season that they're better than they are in other seasons. More dynamic now, maybe more dry here, maybe more dysfunctional later. But, but just like in our personal relationships in the church, the blessing is found, is it not? In sticking with it. In staying together. In walking through it. In working through it. We come out on that other side better and stronger and more like Jesus. There's been times some of you have thought about, you know, finding that Acts 2, 3, 4 church somewhere else, but you didn't. You might have been sideways with somebody or something wasn't quite the way you wanted it to be, but you said, hey, you know what? We're going to walk through this. We're going to trust the Lord through this. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus through this. Listen, if you're frustrated that you can't find a church like Acts 2, 3, and there's a lot of people like that out there today. They're just looking for that perfect place. If you think there's a church out there like Acts 2, 3, or 4, you must have never read beyond Acts chapter 4 because there is an Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, dysfunction enters in. and Things take a quick and drastic turn in the wrong direction. And we're going to see that in a moment. But listen, understand, I love Acts 2, 3, and 4. I do love it. But it's like the last night at summer camp. It, it's just, it's the, like how we're going to feel tonight if you go watch the fireworks show somewhere. It's like the grand finale when everything is just right at, at its peak. Acts 2, 3, and 4 is kind of this mountaintop sort of experience with the Lord. And we want that. And by the way, we're aiming for that, right? We, we want to aim for that. We, we want the very best that God has to offer through His Son, Jesus, through His Holy Spirit. We, we want to set our hearts and our minds, and we want to ask the Lord God, would you do something dynamic in this moment that I'm in? Would you do something dynamic in this season that we're in? God, would you pour out your Spirit on us? God, would you do that? We want to aim for that kind of unity, but we have to also be honest and realistic enough to know that hard times are going to be a part of our experience. It just is. It's broken people. United together in Jesus in a broken world. It's going to be hard sometimes. And that's why the first promise in our church covenant says, we, say it with me, we will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You, you know why we say that over and over again? Because that doesn't happen automatically. And it doesn't happen easily. In Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, the people's hearts were beautifully linked together. Secondly, their possessions were held loosely. And we love that about what we read. Verse 32 says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared 
everything they had. Again, we've talked about this we, when we were in Acts 2 a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the fact that there were thousands of Jewish people from all over the world who had converged on Jerusalem for the, the Feast of Pentecost. And now they're a part of this new thing called the church. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they don't want to go home because there's no church at home. This is their family now. This is their church now. There's only one church on the face of the planet, and it's right there in Jerusalem. So they literally have thousands of church members now who have nowhere to stay. Think of that. Thousands of church members who have no home, who have no source of income. They haven't, hadn't planned to be in Jerusalem this long. Now, the planner types in Jerusalem and the church were probably thinking, well, Jesus didn't plan this real well. He picked a really crummy time to start this whole church thing. We got thousands of refugees now here in the church. We got some kind of crisis on our hand. But the church folks are going, what crisis? We'll make room at the house for one more. We'll make room for the table for one more. We'll find one more scoop of potatoes. We'll figure this out. God will provide. And yeah, it started to cost them. It cost the people more than they had in their budgets. But they kept giving and they kept trusting the Lord. The Bible says they shared everything that they had. So in Acts 2, 3, and 4, we're seeing this. The people's hearts were linked. Their possessions were held loosely. Three, the preaching was Holy Spirit-led. And we want that kind of church. Where hearts are linked together. Possessions are held loosely. And the preaching is Holy Spirit-led. Look at verse 32. Let me reread the whole thing. All the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified, proclaimed. They preached powerfully, powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They had power in their preaching, but it wasn't their own power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter had made that clear back in chapter 3 when the lame man was healed. When questioned about that, Peter made it clear that this lame man wasn't healed by our power. He was healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that healed that lame man is the same power that's operating through the preaching of God's servants here. And what is the theme of that preaching? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Crucified, buried, and yes, to the Sadducees, resurrected. He's been raised from the dead. They're preaching the gospel. And at times, God would validate that message by performing a miracle. Like the raising of that lame man. So this is what you have going on in Acts chapter 4. The people's hearts are linked. Their possessions are held loosely. The preaching was Holy Spirit-led. And I want you to see the consequences of that. Two results of that are, is this. Number one, God blessed them for that. His blessings were poured generously out on them. Verse 33 says, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Why was God blessing these people? Because they weren't selfish. They, they, they set aside their own preferences to care for and look after their brothers and sisters in the Lord. They shared whatever they had with whoever had a need. Their faith in God was big. They knew that whatever was needed, His hand would provide it. They knew His faithfulness 
was great, and their confidence was, was in him, and they preached with boldness the truth of the gospel. So God is blessing them. He blessed them. And here's the second result we see from the way they're living together. They gave generously to God. God gave generously to them. And then they turn around and give generously to God. Verse 34 says, There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Not the first time we've heard that. This is like repetitive information from Acts chapter 2. But this time, Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, wants to give us an illustration of what he's talking about. He says, hey, this is the second time I've told you people are selling stuff and giving it to the church and giving it to make sure that people's needs are met. But let me give you an example. He says in verse 36, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought money to the apostles. This guy, his name is Joseph. But the disciples, as they got to know him, they gave him a nickname. Some of you have been given a nickname from your pastor or from other people. Some of you don't know I've given you a nickname. I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> I'm just kidding, so, sort of. Um, but they got to know Joseph, and so they gave him this nickname. They started calling him Barnabas. You know, we had a guy in our church, Jim Horn. I nicknamed him. I started calling him Barney because he reminded me of this character here in the book of Acts. The reason they named him Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. They, they didn't have to be around Joseph long to figure out this is the kind of guy that's always lifting everybody else up. He's always focused on how he can help somebody else, encourage somebody else, edify, build up somebody else. He's from Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, so he's an islander. He's probably got a good tan. And has a floral robe, sort of like Mr. Aldrich's shirt over here today. Probably, probably got some palm trees on his robe. Flip-flops, you know. Probably a real chill, relaxed, happy kind of dude. I don't know that, but that's where he's from. It's the island of Cyprus. He's one of the many people that's conversed on Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. That's why he came. That's why he's there. And the Bible says he has a field. He's got some property I don't know if that's property back home in Cyprus or if maybe he had some investment property or maybe some family land around Jerusalem that had been passed down to him at some time prior. But whatever the case, the Bible says that he sold it and he gave every penny of it to the church. Just put it in the general offering. You know, that's just the tithe. Just said, hey, wherever it needs to go, just let it go there. That's what he does with it. And by the way, this won't be the last time you hear from Barnabas in the book of Acts. We're going to get blessed by this brother another time or two in our journey. Barnabas is the example, the example of what church people were like in Acts 2 and 3 and 4. It's because of Barnabas that we go, man, I want to go to a church like that. Who doesn't want to go to a church Filled with Barnabases, right? We all do. And that's what the church was like in those chapters. But then comes Acts 5. You know, in Acts 4, Satan tried to stop the church from the outside. And he failed. 
In Acts chapter 5, now Satan's going to try to stop the church from the inside. And he brings sin into the church. Chapter 5, verse 1. First word, but. We've just read chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and we're like, yes, Lord, yes. And you know something's about to go bad wrong when the first word of chapter 5 is that strong contrasting conjunction, but. We don't want that but to be there. We don't want this story to pivot, do we? We want, we want this to continue. We want this to be our experience. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Sounds just like Barnabas, right? He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So they're both in on this. And then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. So since COVID hit, we haven't been able to pass offering plates here. I think this is a good time to start. So I'm going to invite the ushers, if you guys would just come right now, and we're going to just make sure that we're doing this. You're like, ah! Can you imagine being the person in line to give your offering behind Barnabas? Can you just imagine what was going through that person's mind when Barnabas is getting called out and then he drops dead and you're like, I'll be right back, right? <laughs> Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Obviously, this is not a Baptist church or everybody would have known by now, <laughs> but she doesn't know. Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they'll carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. This story bothers us, doesn't it? I mean, even as I read it, i got to be honest, I prepared the sermon. This is not the first time I've read it, and my heart's beating a little bit faster even as I just read that. Maybe yours accelerated a little bit as you heard it being read. This makes us a little bit, or a lot of bit, uneasy. It's harsh. We don't want it to go like this. We want them to repent. 
and then lead the Dave Ramsey class for the church, right? We want that to happen. We want this to have a happy ending. You know why we're also uncomfortable with this story? Because we're not dead. And if we're honest, we're thinking, that could be me. Because when it comes to giving, when it comes to generosity, when it comes to compassion, when it comes to stewardship, there's times that I have missed the mark. I've not always been straight with God. I've not always been honest with myself or with others or with God. And so it makes us squirm a little bit because we're thinking that could be me. But that's not the real reason that, that God took them out. It wasn't, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the stewardship. Peter's clear here, this was your property. You could do with it whatever you wanted to do. You could sell it, you could keep it, you could rent it, it doesn't matter. And if you decide to sell it, then the money's yours. And it's up to you what you do with that money. You're free then to do with it whatever you want. You're not required to give it all to God. God didn't take them out because they kept some money back from selling their property. God took them out because of their hypocrisy. God took them out because they weren't telling the truth. They were lying. They were posturing like they had given everything they had. Knowing full well that wasn't true. Peter tells them, not only were you trying to fool people, you were trying to fool God. He says, you were lying to the Holy Spirit. You, you think you could fool him? You think you could lie to God? He sees the heart. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira had seen what had happened to Barnabas, and they knew, hey, he's getting his name in the Bible. We want to get our name in the Bible. Well, congratulations. You got your name in the Bible, but not the way that they were wanting to. They wanted to look good to everybody else. When they walked into church, they wanted people to think of them in a certain way. They were faking it. They were hypocrites. And that makes our hearts race a little bit because we all know if there's anything that we're guilty of in the church, it's that. It's of being a hypocrite. Told you I was coming for you. So we're all guilty of. We all pretend to be better than we are. We all want people to think that we're more generous than we are. We all, at times, have pretended to be closer to Jesus, to be more spiritual than we really are. And by the way, our friends who don't go to church, they know that about us. They do. And that's why they say to us, well, I'm not going to church because that place is just full of hypocrites. My comeback is, we're not full. We got room for one more. Come on. <laughs> because we're all hypocrites. In the church, out of the church. At some time or another, we all are guilty of that. 
even those who think they're too good to go to church with other hypocrites. None of us live the way we should. None of us are perfect. None of us are living totally like Jesus. We know that. But neither should we pretend that we are. Why? Why would we pretend that we're someplace in a relationship with God that we're not yet? You might have expected the first sin that God would pour judgment out on the church would be immorality or embezzlement or blasphemy. No, the first sin that God comes after is being fake. Being a hypocrite. That's what he goes after. Pretending to be something that we're not. And God is saying to us in Acts chapter 5 about this, I hate that sin. I hate it. Because it's satanic. It's satanic. Look at what Peter says in verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan feel your heart? Do you know that you were created with this body, for this body to be a container, to be filled with something? That's why you hear a lot of people say, I feel so empty. Because they are. We are created to be filled with something. The question is, what will we be full of? Mike referenced Ephesians 5.18 last Sunday to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Up to this point, that's what we've seen in the hearts, the lives of God's people. Have we not? In Acts 2 and 3 and 4, they are full of the Holy Spirit. And now, chapter 5, we see Ananias and his wife full of not the Holy Spirit, but now full of Satan. How did that happen? How does that happen to good go- church-going people like them? They let it happen. They let it happen. Look at the text, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Some of you today, what are you full of? You're full of anger. You're full of bitterness. Why? Because you've given your sin. You've given your flesh. You've given Satan permission to fill your life. You've let that happen to yourself. You've let those things overcome you. Ephesians 4.26 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Why? For anger gives a foothold to the devil. See, some of us are like Ananias. We're not walking in the truth today. You know what you're doing when you're not walking in the truth? You know what you're doing when you're faking it? You know what you're doing when you're pretending to be something that you're not? You're inviting Satan to take over more of your life. John 8, 44, Jesus says, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How do we get real? We get real by starting to say no to Satan and yes to Jesus, right? How do we say yes to Jesus? Let let me give you some things to think about as we begin to close. 
Number one, make sure you know him. Make sure you know him as your Savior and as your Lord. There is question and debate today about Ananias and Sapphira. There's question and debate. Were they saved? Were were they truly saved or were they not? Nobody really knows. That ought not be you when you drop dead. Leave no question, leave no doubt for those who you leave behind that Jesus Christ was your Savior and your Lord. Make sure that you know him today. Make sure that you have trusted him today. And with every opportunity you have, make sure that you are professing publicly that he is indeed your Savior and your Lord. When your family comes to sit in my office and talk about planning your funeral, they ought not have to think real hard when I ask them a question, was your family member a born-again child of God? Leave no doubt and in doing so you will be saying no to satan and you'll be saying yes to jesus second thing to say no to satan and yes to jesus we got to look at sin like god does we need to be taking sin all sin not just my neighbor's sin your sin mine too we need to be looking at sin and thinking of sin the way that god thinks of sin somebody said if, if we're not busy killing sin sin is killing us You might not drop dead today because of it, but if you leave it unchecked, it will destroy your joy. It will destroy your peace. It will destroy your sense of purpose and mission in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to know today, okay, how just how serious does God take my sin? You know, because we're in this culture, this world today where We're all like minimizing our sin or magnifying somebody else's sin or justifying our sin or celebrating our sin. And you want to know how serious does God really take my sin? You want to know how serious he takes your sin? Your little bitty, kind of nothing, just sort of little sin. You want to know how serious he takes it? Look at the cross. Look at what he did to his own son. That's what he thinks about our sin. Third, we got to say no to Satan, yes to God. Be honest with God. Can I let you know a secret today? He already knows. You aren't fooling him. You can try lying to him, but he knows. Be honest with God. Confess to the Lord. The Bible says he desires truth in our inmost being. Before the throne of grace is no place to fake it. That is the place in the universe to be real. And to be honest and to pour our hearts out, all the mess, all the ugliness, all of that before the throne of grace. So go to God today in Jesus' name and be honest with him. And by the way, we are free in Jesus because of what he did at the cross. Our sin has been taken away. There is no condemnation. We are free in Jesus to boldly approach that throne of grace that we can find mercy and help in our time of need. Be honest with God. The fourth thing I would say, how we say no to Satan, yes to Jesus, is this. Number four, grow in relationships with other Christians who are also real and honest and who are going to encourage you to be the same. We got to learn, Grace Life, 
to do more than just share what's going on around us. We got to learn how to be in relationship with spirit-filled people who are honest before God so that we might not just share what's going on around us, but that we can also feel safe to share what's going on in us. For a lot of us, our church experience has been like our social media experience. We just log in here on Sunday morning and we have conversations about what's going on in the world. And rarely do we have a conversation about what's going on in me. Roger, I want to be that kind of brother, man, you know? I think of you as that, that kind of brother. I know that. We need brothers and sisters, amen, like that, full of the Holy Spirit, who are real and honest and can handle our realness and our honesty and not bludgeon us with it. That's what God desires among his people. We, we can't just be a people that just show one another the highlights. Because God knows the lowlights outnumber the highlights. And that's where life is really lived. Ananias and Sapphira were not sharing with others in the church what was happening in them. How different the story could be. How different Acts 5 could be. If Ananias and Sapphira said, listen, there's people in this church that are just like us. They're fellow strugglers, and they are full of the Holy Spirit, and we can share our soul. We can share our hearts. We can share our burdens with them, and they'll help us, and they'll encourage us, and they'll build us up. They didn't do that. Find people that are truly going to love you and what's going on in your heart no matter what. And if you're the kind of person that's going to run away from people when they share your heart, people already know that about you. They're not coming to you. So quit begging them. Tell me what's going on. They're not going to tell you what's going on. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and be trustworthy as a brother or sister in the Lord. We can talk about the temptations that we face. We should. The struggles to borrow from CR, the habits and the hurts and the hang-ups that we all have. Listen, if church isn't a place to have conversations like that, there is no place on the planet to have conversations like that. So listen up, church folks. This sham of faking and pretending and leading others to believe that we are something that we are not, that's not helping anybody. That is not honoring to God, and that's not helping anybody. Here's a message a person in our church sent me just two weeks ago. It was a long message, and I'm just sharing part of it. But this is verbatim. Joel, I don't know what to do. I'm suicidal. And it seems like everything is crumbling down around me. I feel all kinds of emotions right now. Sad, angry, defeated. Listen to this. I wish I had the relationship with God I see others at church have. When I can't get past all the bad, it's so hard to see what is good. Here's what I know, Bryce. This person thinks they're the only one 
struggling at the church they go to. And the reality is there are hundreds more just like them who are also thinking, I'm the weirdo, I'm the freak, I'm the odd man out because I'm the only one at this church that doesn't have it together. I'm the only one that's struggling with something, and that's not true. And I'm telling you all today, that's not true because I don't want you to be tempted to subscribing to the Ananias and Sapphira way of doing church, which is, let's fake it till we make it. That's not working. And here's the irony of this whole story. I think Ananias could have went to his brother Barnabas. I think he could have went to him and said, brother, I'm struggling. I I believe that God is calling me to to give everything from the cell of this land. But I got to be honest, man, I got a kid going to college soon. And I've been a little bit behind over here in this area of my life. And I'm trying to sort this out. And I'm trying to figure this out. Or maybe, maybe there was no financial issue in his life. Maybe there was just some greediness that was there. But he could have come to Barnabas and said, Man, I just feel like the flesh is taking over in my heart. And that I'm being tempted and lured into thinking and pursuing and wanting and desiring things that aren't honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And can I talk to you about that? But he didn't do that. Maybe he had good reason for keeping some of the money. Maybe he didn't. But Barnabas the encourager would have done what for Ananias? He would have encouraged him. With truth. He would have built him up in truth. Some of you today, you need to find a Barnabas. A person that's full of the Holy Spirit. And completely trustworthy. And be honest with them. And some of you today need to become a Barnabas. Full of the Holy Spirit. Completely trustworthy. To a struggling brother or sister. Why? Because 24 hours from now the tables may flip. And you may be on the other side of that relationship, needing it to work the other way. Ananias and his wife, for a brief moment, they faked their relationship with God. And it cost them. You know what? It cost everybody else too. They left a wake of hurt and pain and questions and fear. Behind. Don't go down that path. Maybe you expected me to talk about money today. I could. Does God care how much you put in the plate? You bet He does. But He cares far more what's going on in your heart. The heart's right. Giving will take care of itself. God cares about your heart today, so be real with him today. And then maybe we can start to be real with each other. Know this. Your sin, your struggles, they don't make it harder for God to use you. They only make it harder for you you to believe that he will. 
Stop believing the lies. Believe the truth of the gospel. Believe that you are who God says you are. You don't have to run in shame like Adam and Eve from God. You don't have to try to fake it till you make it like Ananias and Sapphira did. Believe the truth of who heaven says you are, of who God says you are because of Jesus. And run not from him today, but run to him today. As we bow to pray with heads bowed and with eyes closed. I, last 4th of July, came across a prayer that a pastor wrote. His name's Scotty Smith. He's in Nashville. And I hung, I, 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 I hung on to that prayer. I needed to hear that prayer that day. I needed to hear it again today. I think you need to hear it as well. So I want to pray this over us today. So I ask you just to tune your heart in. Lord Jesus, when King David prayed for freedom from his prison, he wasn't behind iron bars. He was hiding in a cave. It's obvious he felt pursued, trapped, and alone. It's also obvious he enjoyed great freedom to own his desperation and abandon himself to you. We do the same on this July 4th. You've already set us free from many slavish imprisonments. The fear of dying, for you robbed the grave of its victory through your resurrection. The fear of judgment, for you were condemned in our place upon the cross. Your death was our judgment day. Hallelujah. You freed us from the tyranny of false gospels, for it's your obedience and righteousness which makes us acceptable to God. And the myth of autonomy, for you alone are the sovereign Lord and the King of kings. When we consider these liberties, why would we doubt your ability or willingness to set us free from other imprisonments? Jesus set us free from vain regrets, those haunting memories of what could have been and what should have been. We want to learn from the past, not be enslaved to it. Break the chains of our fear of aging, obsessions over things we can't control, and taking things too personally. Give us thick skin and big hearts as we live among all kinds of people. Indeed, we yearn for more freedom from the fear of man, which is truly a snare. May you grow bigger in our hearts, Jesus, so people will assume the proper size. Set us free from the power of old wounds and fear of new ones. Some things will only be fully healed by your second coming. Let us be okay with that. Even as we trust you to use our pain for the benefit of others. Those you set free are the truly free ones, Jesus. So thank you. So very amen, we pray in your powerful and loving name. Amen. Let's stand. And let's worship the Lord in truth, spirit, 